Welcome to the Humble Hoof Podcast. My name is Alicia Harlov. This is a podcast for both horse owners and hoof care professionals, offering discussions into various philosophies on the health of the hoof and soundness of your horse. Please check us out on Facebook or at thehumblehoof.com. In February 2021, I listened to Dr. Sarah Lejeune, Chief of the Equine Integrative Sports Medicine Service at UC Davis and a board-certified equine surgeon, give some talks about footing considerations for performance and in regards to injury risk. I felt it was an important topic to have on the podcast, so I reached out to her. She agreed to chat with me, along with Christina Rolfe a biomedical engineering PhD candidate who has done some pretty interesting research by fabricating a custom testing machine to monitor arena surface properties in regards to risk factors for injury. Their findings were really significant, and this conversation dives right in. Why don't we start, and you can both tell us a little bit about how you became interested in footing considerations with horses. All right, I'll get started. This is Sarah. So I'm an equine veterinarian. I do sports medicine at UC Davis, but I'm also a rider, mostly show jumping, some dressage. And, you know, it's been quite obvious that injuries in horses are common, unfortunately. And it's mostly a multifactorial situation, but I was very fortunate to be able to work with Sue Stover at the Veterinary Orthopedic Research Lab at UC Davis. She's been a mentor of mine throughout my veterinary career, pretty much. And this is also how I met Christina, because we were both involved in research projects on footing, equestrian footing, and, you know, the the effect on extension of the fetlock on takeoff and landing of jumps. So anyway, that really got into it more into the scientific aspect. But in essence, for me, it's all about preventing injuries as a veterinarian. And when you really think about it, footing is a key component. So that's why I'm interested in that. Right. Yeah. And Christina? Yeah. So I'm a biomedical engineer. I was interested at first in going to vet school, but also had a passion for engineering and realized that I wanted to be able to bridge those two fields and use my engineering training to improve animal medicine. So when I was applying for grad school to get my PhD. I met Sue Stover in the Veterinary Orthopedic Research Laboratory, and she had an opportunity for an engineer to come in to do research on equine footing and allow me to learn the equine biomechanics side of things and apply that to improving safety of horses competing on surfaces. Yeah. And I mean, I am someone who has a horse that had deep digital flexor tendon tears, and I really believe that they originated with some footing issues. So this is something that I found really interesting. I actually first heard, Sarah, I heard you speak last year at the UC Davis, the Memorial Lecture in February. Mm -hmm. And I was just super captivated by your talks. And I would love to ask some questions kind of regarding some of the, the things that you were talking about there. Sure. So the first one is, you know, you talked a lot about the different aspects of what can influence injury in regards to footing. So I would love you to touch upon, or both of you touch upon some of the common correlations that you've seen with footing and soft tissue injury. Well, so I just want to say that that's like the holy grail right there, right? Is to figure out what type of footing predisposes to what kind of injury. 
But, you know, the reality is, and this will be kind of a long-winded answer, is that that research doesn't exist yet. I mean, we have small little snippets of information about certain properties. And certainly in the racing industry, there's a lot more information because they're very good about collating and documenting all the injuries at all the various tracks and also correlating that back to the surface properties and you know, they're really interested in keeping racing very safe. And they've done a really good job. I mean, the injury rate has gone down drastically over the last 10 years because they are doing that and they're putting science and the actual injury rates together and trying to make racing safer. And that's a worldwide thing. So in racing, we can say that synthetic surfaces, which are surfaces that combine some sand with something else like fiber, wax, or rubber, something else, you know, besides sand, we can say that that has made racing somewhat safer. But I will say that, again, injuries are multifactorial. And so, you know, the surface is one factor and training, regime, shoeing, overall welfare and maintenance of the horse are all factors. Now, in the show jumping and dressage world and more of the English performance world or the Western world, we have very, very few studies that correlate injuries back to surface properties. I mean, in fact, it's very, very sparse. So there's really a need there to come up with a situation where we are recording the types of injuries and then correlating that back to the type of surface and testing the surface and knowing exactly what that surface is in terms of shear forces, in terms of water content, in terms of temperature, et cetera, because all of those things will affect how that surface performs. And certainly Christina can touch more on that. But in general, sort of big generalizations are that hard surfaces tend to predispose to hard tissue injuries, so more foot pain and then more bone and joint problems as opposed to overly soft and deep kind of surfaces will predispose more to soft tissue injuries because it causes more hyperextension of the digit and some some slip. And again, you know, that's really, really general and kind of broad. But when you get more into the nitty gritty of all the different properties, I'm going to turn this over to Christina because that's essentially has been her research. So I hope that answers your question. Yeah, no, that's a great start. Hey. Yeah, so as she mentioned, a lot of the research hasn't been correlated directly back to injury. Part of that is because when we do a lot of our research, we're not trying to injure the animals. So we're putting them on surfaces and making sure they don't go lame over the course of the study. So in order to do a study all the way to discovering injury, that would put wear and tear on the horse, which is usually not our goal. A couple of things that we do look at, which we assume are related to injury. One is fetlock (laughs) extension. And that's because since the deep digital flexor tendon and superficial digital flexor tendon are on the backside of the forelimb, as the fetlock extends, we would expect those tendons and ligaments to stretch more. So fetlock angle is sort of used as a proxy to injury in most cases. So we are working, I'm currently in the process of working on some computer modeling for show jumping horses to look directly at what's happening with the tendon and ligament strain 
and how that stretching or strain is increasing or decreasing depending on surface properties. Some of the findings so far is that more moisture content on surfaces from what we found tends to decrease vertical impact forces and decrease the fetlock extension. We also are seeing that more cushion depth tends to, again, decrease vertical impact forces and fetlock extension. And another finding is that harrowing surfaces seems to be very important. So we found significant increases in vertical impact forces for compacted surfaces compared to harrowed surfaces. So that gives some indication that by harrowing surfaces, there is a greater propensity for decreasing injury risk. When we are looking at different surface types, however, so comparing what we call dirt surfaces, which are just sand, to synthetic surfaces, which include fiber, we did not find any statistical differences between those groups. And that's actually pretty interesting and different than a lot of previous studies that compared one dirt and one synthetic surface to each other and did find differences, where synthetic surfaces had lower vertical forces, and higher shear forces. And in our study, we looked at five dirt and seven synthetic surfaces. And what we believe is that by looking at more surfaces, there's a higher variation in what a dirt surface is when you go from place to place. Same thing with a synthetic surface. So you can get overlap of the mechanical properties of these two types of surfaces, which is why our findings seem to indicate that just because a surface is dirt doesn't mean it's safer, and just because a surface is synthetic doesn't mean it's safer. They have this overlap in properties. So that was sort of an interesting finding that it really relates to the underlying properties of the surface rather than just one type of surface is safer than another. Right. And before you had mentioned that racing was where a lot of these studies are taking place because that's such a big industry. And does the discipline also play a role in surfaces that might, you know, have an impact on these joints or soft tissue or things like that? Or are you just kind of looking at, like you mentioned that fetlock extension, you know, obviously like a show jumper is going to be asked to do very different things than a racehorse. Yes, absolutely. The discipline is absolutely paramount because Different horses, as you said, do different jobs, right? So for, let's say, a show jumper, we want a really grippy, hard surface so the horse has feels secure turning and jumping and having really precise and quick movements laterally as well. So usually a grippy, hard surface is ideal for them in terms of performance, okay? And I will state that maximal performance, meaning the horse can maximally perform on a surface, doesn't necessarily mean that's the safest surface, okay? Because all those hard, grippy surfaces over time do cause a lot of wear and tear on the horse because they don't dissipate a lot of impact shock. But anyway, that's a whole different story. So for a show jumper, absolutely hard and grippy. For the opposite to that, the extreme opposite to that would be a reining horse, right? That does sliding stops and spins and all that. So they want a very loose, deeper surface so they can slide through right slide through the surface kind of in in the middle there are dressage horses because they don't need that hard grip but they do need to do a lot of lateral movement and so they're kind of in between and it's very interesting actually that at the higher levels a lot of the dressage competitions 
are being held at venues that are actually show jumping competitions. And so they're on the same footing. And oftentimes the dressage riders are really, really unhappy with it because the horses are not used to that type of grippy footing and they actually stumble. And so that's another consideration is that the horses adapt to the footing that they're being trained on. And so adaptation to the surface you work on and training on the surface you're going to compete on is very, very important because all of these tissues are biological and they adapt and the horse's neuromuscular system adapts to how this footing behaves. And so it's very, very important for them to see the footing they're going to compete on, not just in competition, but, you know, when they're training. Right. Yeah. And that sort of addressed part of my, another question that I had too about ideal footing. So it sounds like there's not really one ideal footing overall. It, it really depends on the discipline and what the horse will be doing. Correct. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and also, like I said, and we can get Christina's input, of course, but the ideal footing, it's like ideal for what? Is it ideal for performance or is it ideal for injury prevention? So again, these are both discipline specific. But usually a very, very high performing surface is not necessarily what's going to be ideal for injury prevention. So I'll take the show jumper again. You know, they want a hard, very grippy surface. So that is going to produce high impact shocks and very little slide on landing, which that slide on landing, when the hoof interacts with the surface, if it is not able to slide, then you dissipate less energy. So again, that increases the impact shock and predisposes to potential injury. You see what I'm saying? It's, it's really not a simple question. <laughs> but when you interview riders or you ride on a surface or you test some of these high-performing surfaces, they are extremely hard and very grippy. And that's what the riders like because they feel like the horse can really jump hard and not slip on, on landing and also not slip on the turns. So is it almost that we sort of have to choose between having the like ideal performance and not having, and it seems like there's a kind of a fine line then between a horse that's performing well, but exactly. also not injuring themselves. Well, it's a compromise. Yeah. It's absolutely a compromise. And Christina's dying to jump in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, in our research, we looked at variables related to performance. So specifically, like vertical displacement is one variable that the more the hoof displaces vertically into the surface, that reduces the speed and forward momentum of a jumping horse and would negatively impact performance. And the same variables that would decrease that vertical displacement also increased the vertical impact forces. So there's definitely a very strong trade-off between performance and safety. I guess in my opinion, when we look at a surface, all horses are competing on that same surface. So while we might not want to totally minimize the safety aspect, I at least feel that horses are on a level playing field if the performance is diminished in the same way for every horse. But on the flip side, that can impact getting world records and stuff like that. So, you know, records that are outside the scope of a single competition can be impacted by performance. And this might be a silly question, but when you say vertical displacement, are you talking about like the depth of the footing or is it a certain kind of footing that allows the foot to have more of that displacement? Yeah. So vertical displacement is another term for it is sinkage. So it's how much the hoof sinks into the surface at landing. Okay. 
Right. And I remember, and obviously the the UC Davis talk was a year and a half ago now, and my memory is a little bit hazy about it. But I remember that, um, you know, there was a portion where Dr. Lejeune, you talked about, you know, mass and load and height and how they might Mm -hmm. play a role in regards to what the horse can tolerate. Can you touch on that a little bit? Sure. Well, so that's basically the fundamental law of physics, right? Force equals mass times acceleration. So the the heavier the animal and the faster it's going or the higher it's jumping, the higher the force that's going to be exerted on its limbs and its whole body to absorb that. So it's really not that complicated to understand, but that's why, you know, things, and this goes beyond footing, but obviously footing is very important, but that's why, you know, you don't want to have a horse be extremely overweight (laughs) doing any physical activity because that will increase the forces on the limbs and that's pretty basic but obviously jump height or speed really increases risk of injury and also because of the increased forces so when you we think about a canter stride a canter or gallop is no different than a jump it has a flight phase you know anything that increases the center of mass of the horse over what the height would be when it's actually galloping on flat ground will increase the forces. Obviously, jumping a meter versus jumping a meter 60, you're increasing the forces dramatically. And of course, then you have to be more and more careful about the footing. Because, you know, at a meter, it could be a lot more forgiving, but you're jumping a meter 60, now it's a lot less forgiving because the forces are much higher. Does that make sense? Yeah. So obviously you're looking at the horse and is the horse able to do this job as well as if the footing is going to be good for the job. Mm-hmm. Correct. Yeah. Awesome. Christina's <laughs> dotting, but I'm not sure is that is that a yes or does she want to say something? Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's bringing in a, a secondary concept. So tendons and ligaments, which are most commonly injured in at least show jumping, are what's called viscoelastic. So that means you can almost think of it like Play-Doh where they have properties that are similar to a rigid structure, like a metal beam, and then they also have properties similar to a liquid. And because of this dual property nature of these biological structures, there is a time-dependent component to how these structures behave. So if we load a tendon or ligament really fast, it's going to behave more like a rigid steel bar Whereas if we load it slowly, if you think of pulling on Play-Doh slowly versus pulling on it hard, it flows over time. And so not only are the magnitude of the forces, so the actual value of the forces increased when we have more mass or a higher jump, but we also have a higher deceleration and loading rate upon landing because they have to slow that much more force down in the same amount of time. Yeah. No, that makes sense. And and it's so funny because this all makes so much sense, especially in the show jumping world, because that's a lot of the examples we're given. But I'm so far removed. Like I grew up riding dressage and now I'm a trail rider. So this is all really interesting to me. But it's also something that I don't often have to think about. So it's really great to kind of put those pieces together and, and realize that this is an incredibly important thing in that in the performance horse world. Yeah, it is. And it's very overlooked. I mean, not so much at the elite level, of course. I mean, they're totally on top of it, or trying to be anyway. But, you know, at the amateur or low level, it's really incredible that people don't realize how important it is. 
and that things like what Christina mentioned, like just harrowing the arena, you know, it can have such a huge impact on decreasing the forces that this animal is going to see when it's exercising that surface. So, you know, there are things you can do as the property owner to make your arena safer. And that's called maintenance, (laughs) you know? Right. Yeah. And that's, you know, one of my, or my last question I had was, you know, what can owners do practically to help with injury prevention or to help ensure that their footing is going to be something that's, you know, more helpful than hindering in their performance? So I'm going to just say one thing, and because this is really Christina's thing. For me, I think it is maintenance and Christina's going to touch on more of the details of that, but also it's consistency of the footing. And we didn't really talk about that, but that's very, very important because horses will actually adapt to the footing they're on. They're really incredible. So they can adapt to whatever they're being exposed to, but it has to be consistent. And so inconsistent footing actually will predispose to acute injuries because the horse has no chance. You know what I mean? Like if right. it's deeper in one area and softer and then harder and then slippery. I mean, it's it just, you know, one, they have tentative performance. They don't really go for it, you know, because they, they're unsure of the footing. And then two, they, they do have a tendency to develop injuries. So consistency of footing is very, very important. And if people are going to change their arenas or change the footing, they need to change the whole footing not half of it. I've seen that. They're like, oh, we wanted to make this part better. It's like, don't do that. please. (laughs) You know, that's tricking the horses. You need to make sure it's consistent and uniform. So in terms of more of the specifics, I'll turn it over to Christina, because again, that's been her research. So I think to a certain extent, some of our results were surprising. When I was talking earlier about we found significant increases in forces from a harrowed to a compacted surface, the way we measured that is we dropped a mechanical tester on the surface. So that mechanical tester has a similar acceleration and weight to the forelimb of a horse and the imprint is similar to a hoof print. So we dropped that once and then we dropped it a second time in the same spot. And that was our compacted surface. So we saw significant differences essentially with just another horse stepping into the hoof print of a horse that rode before them. And we thought that was really surprising that there would be such a drastic change with that small amount of compaction. And what she means is that the forces were much higher. Just with one horse stepping in that footprint, the force exerted onto the testing device was much higher, right, Christina? Yeah. 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 Wow. And so I think the first thing that I would recommend as far as reducing safety is potentially harrowing more often. I know at the elite level, they do it between every 10 to 15 horses, usually at the amateur level, it's more like once every hour and a half after like 60 or so horses have competed on the surface. So harrowing more often could definitely improve that. And I think the second thing that we're definitely working on with racing horses and that I think needs to be translated to sport horses as well is developing a set of standards for arena surfaces. So we have our mechanical testing device, which is at the moment, pretty bulky and difficult to transport. But our hope is to get that to a smaller scale, something that every arena owner can own and use to make sure that their surface is consistent with other surfaces in the area that a horse might train on. And because 
you know, the horse is able to adapt muscle and bone and tendon and ligament properties to the surface that they compete on. As long as they have a consistent surface for both training and competition, the injury rate would be expected to be reduced. That's great. So it'll be something that an owner could potentially purchase and have at home to test their surfaces? Exactly. Yep. Oh, great. And then something else that you mentioned actually made me think about how, so you were saying how, you know, when the horses are are landing in the same spot another horse has landed, then there's an increase in those forces. So technically, I know we can't, this wasn't the point of your study, but technically a horse that's going on later in a show before the footing's harrowed again, they might have more forces upon landing in that riding arena. Exactly. Yeah. What's interesting is not only, yeah, would they have those higher forces, which increases their injury risk, but since we talked about the trade-off between injury and competition, it was brought up that they also might have a competitive advantage as well. Oh, right. I see that. So it's sort of, yeah, again, goes back to as their ability to perform maybe at a higher level goes up, their injury risk also uh, potentially goes up. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, I mean, this is great. These are all the main questions I had. I didn't know if there's anything else that you wanted to touch upon that maybe I missed. Well, I just want to say in terms of, you know, if some people are listening who actually own facilities and especially competition facilities, it's really important that the uh, warm-up arena has the same footing as the competition arena. Because again, horses adapt to the footing they're on. And so even if they've trained at home on a little bit on a slightly different surface, it's really not fair for the horse to warm up on a different surface than the one it's actually going to be competing on. So I would really strongly suggest that that be looked at, that, you know, the surface at the competition is uniform and that the warm up arena is the same as the, the competition arena. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That makes sense. I mean, these are all little things that you don't really think about, you know, right. but once you really start thinking about it, you're like, gosh, yeah, that's important. Yeah. And it's a pain, you know, because a lot of times it's very expensive. You know, all this synthetic footing is and having drainage and water systems and all that is very, very expensive. I totally understand. You know, obviously they want to maximize the quality of the footing in the competition arena but really it should be uniform across the competition footing not just where they compete but also where they warm up right yeah no that that makes sense and it's something that I feel like if it's going to be you know if you're going to be having horses that are performing at a high level that's a, a worthwhile investment yeah but I will say you know everybody talks about elite horses and yes they work very hard no question but I'll tell you some of these amateur horses they go around 6, 10, 12 classes a day with people packing around these individuals who are really not very good and saving their butts, right? Yeah. Jumping from impossible spot, long, near, I mean, you name it. And they're working hard. And those horses deserve it too. I mean, it can't just be targeted towards the elite. It has to be across the board. And so I, I think, you know, uh, we should be trying to help all the horses, not just the ones that are going to the Olympics, you know, right. but that's very few of them. Yeah. yeah. And also, I wanted to say one more thing. Now you got me going <laughs> about the show jumping. It's really interesting, you know, that jump height obviously is a factor for risk injury, but jumping style, and that hasn't been looked at in great detail, but, you know, some horses 
just seem to fold their legs and not you really jump up. You know what I mean? And yeah. so those horses probably have a less chances of being injured because they're not really elevating their center of mass very much. And so the forces on the legs aren't that much higher when they're jumping because they're just folding their legs as opposed to the ones that really jump up and don't fold the legs maybe as much. Those ones, you know, are probably increasing the forces on landing more and causing potentially, and also on takeoff because they're pushing off to jump up higher. But so, you know, once you start thinking about it, it's really, really interesting that all of those factors are considerations. So the absolute jump height is obviously one thing, but thinking about how high does this force elevate its center of mass over the actual jump is also a consideration. Yeah, and one of the things we even found that there was greater fetlock extension in the leading limb versus the trailing limb. So a horse that's able to trade leads can theoretically distribute those higher forces more evenly than a horse that's strictly a left lead or a right lead. Okay, yeah. That makes sense too. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. This is all really great. I think that it all was very clear and um, I think it'll be very useful for owners and trainers. And I really appreciate your time and talking to me about this. Of course. Thank you. It's been a long time coming. I feel badly that we didn't get it done before, but I think it ended up being even better because I think Christina was a valuable asset here. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Definitely. All right. Take care. Have a good day. (laughs) Bye. Bye. I always say that I'm slightly more hoof obsessed than the average person, and chances are, if you're listening to a hoof care podcast, you are too, so we should probably be friends. Feel free to find me on Facebook or email me at thehumblehoof at gmail.com.